Welcome to Backgrounds in Dante. My name is Dr. Mark McCullough. Today I will be reading and offering a brief description of Dante's Letter to Congrande. It is translated by Robert S. Haller and can be found in Richter's Critical Edition Classic Texts and Contemporary Trends. As the philosopher says in the second book of the Metaphysics, as a thing is with respect to being, so it is with respect to truth. And the reason for this is that the truth concerning a thing, which consists in the truth as its subject, is the perfect image of the thing as it is. And so of all things which have being, some are such that they have absolute being in themselves, others such that their being is dependent upon a relationship with something else. They exist at the same time with something which is their correlative, as is the case with father and son, master and servant, double and half, the whole and the parts, and many other such things. Because such things depend for their being upon another thing, it follows that the truth would depend upon the truth of the other. Not knowing the half, its double could not be understood, and so with the other cases. Therefore, if one should wish to present an introduction to a part of a work, it is necessary to present some conception of the whole work of which it is a part. For this reason, I, Dante, who wish to present something in the form of an introduction to the above-mentioned part of the whole com comedy, have decided to preface it with some discussion of the whole work, in order to make the approach to the part easier and more complete. There are six questions, then, which should be asked at the beginning any, about any doctrinal work. What is the subject, its form, its agent, its end, the title of the book, and its branch of philosophy? In three cases, the answers to these questions will be different for the part of the work I propose to give you than for the whole, that is, in the cases of its subject, form, and title, while in the other three, as will be clear upon inspection, they will be the same. Thus, these first three should be specifically asked in a discussion of the whole work, after which the way will be clear for an introduction to the part. Let us then ask the last three questions, not only about the whole, but also about the offered part itself. For the clarification of what I am going to say, then, it should be understood that there is not just a single sense in this work. It might rather be called polysemus, that is, having several senses. For the first sense is that which is contained in the letter, while there is another which is contained in what is signified by the letter. The first is called literal, while the second is called allegorical, or moral, or anagogical. And in order to make this manner of treatment clear, it can be applied to the following verse. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a barbarous persons, Judea was made his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Now, if we look at the letter alone, what is signified to us is the departure of the sons of Israel from Egypt during the time of Moses. If at the allegory, what is signified to us in our redemption through Christ. If at the moral sense, 
what is signified to us is the conversion of the soul from the sorrow and misery of sin to the state of grace. If at the anagogical, what is signified to us is the departure of the sanctified soul from bondage to the corruption of this world and to the freedom of eternal glory. And although these mystical senses are called by various names, they may all be called allegorical, since they are all different from the literal or historical. For allegory is derived from the Greek alion, which means in Latin, alenus, belonging to another, or diversus, different. This being established, it is clear that the subject about which these two senses play must also be twofold. And thus it should first be noted what the subject of the work is when according to the letter, when taken according to the letter, and then what its subject is when understood allegorically. The subject of the whole work then, taking literally, is the state of souls after death, understood in a simple sense, for the movements or the movement of the whole work turns upon this and about this. If on the other hand, the work is taken allegorically, the subject is man in the exercise of his free will, earning or becoming liable to the rewards or punishments of justice. And the form is twofold, the form of the treatise and the form of the treatment. The form of the treatise is threefold, according to the three kinds of division. The first division is that which divides the whole work into three canticles. The second is that which divides each canticle into cantos. The third, that which divides the cantos into rhymed units. The form or manner of treatment is poetic, fictive, descriptive, digressive, and transumptive. transumptive. And, it is well, and it well consists in definition, division, proof, refutation, and the giving of example. The title of the work is, Here Begins the Comedy of Dante Alighieri, a Florentine by birth but not in character. To understand the title, it must be known that comedy is derived from comos, a village, and from oda, a song, so that a comedy is, so to speak, a rustic song. Comedy, then, is a certain genre of poetic narrative different, differing from all others where it differs from tragedy in its manner, in that tragedy is tranquil and conductive to wonder at the beginning, but foul and conductive to horror at the end, or catastrophe, for which reason it is derived from tragos, meaning goat, and oda, making it, as it were, a goat song, that is, foul as a goat is foul. And this is evident in Seneca's tragedies, Comedy, on the other hand, introduces a situation of adversity, but ends its matter in prosperity, as it evidence in Terence's comedies. And for this reason, some writers have the custom of saying in their salutations by way of a greeting, a tragic beginning and a comic ending to you. And as well, they differ in their manner of speaking. Tragedy uses an elevated and sublime style while comedy uses an unstudied and low style, which is what Horace implies in the art of poetry, where he allows comic writers occasionally to speak like the tragic, and also the reverse of this. This is a quote from Horace. Yet sometimes even comedy elevates its voice, and angry chimeras rages in swelling tones, 
and in tragedy, Telephus and Peleus often lament in prosaic speeches. End of quote. So from this, it should be clear why the present work is called the comedy. For if we consider the matter, it is at the beginning, that is, in hell, foul and conductive to horror, but at the end in paradise, prosperous, conductive to pleasure and welcome. And if we consider the manner of speaking, it is unstudied and low, since its speech is in the vernacular, in which even women communicate. There are, besides these, other genres of poetic narrative, such as pastoral verse, elegy, satire, and the hymn of thanksgiving, as could also be gathered from Horace in his Art of Poetry. But there is no purpose to discussing these at this time. Now it can be explained in what manner the part I have offered you may be assigned a subject. For if the subject of the whole work, on the literal level, is the state of souls after death, in an absolute, not in a restrictive sense, then the subject of this part is the same state, but restricted to the state of blessed souls after death. And if the subject of the whole work considered allegorically is man, though exercise of free will, through exercise of free will, earning or becoming liable to the rewards or punishments of justice, then it is evident that the subject in this part is restricted to man's becoming eligible, to the extent he has earned them, for the rewards of justice. And in the same manner, the form of this part falls from the form ascribed to the whole. For if the form of the whole treatise is threefold, then the form in this part is twofold, that is, the division into cantos and into rhymed units. This part could not have the first division as its form, since this part itself is a product of the first division. The title of the book also follows, for while the title of the whole book is, as we said earlier, Here Begins the Comedy, etc., the title of this part is, Here Begins the Third Canticle of Dante's Comedy, etc., which is called Paradise. Having settled these three questions, where the answer was different for the part than for the whole, it remains to deal with the other three, where the answers will not be different for either the part or the whole. The agent, then, in the whole and in the part, is he who has been mentioned above, and he is clearly so thorough out. The, and he is clearly so throughout. The end of the whole and of the part could be multiple, that is, both immediate and ultimate. But without going into details, it can be briefly stated that the end of the whole as of the part is to remove those living in this life from the state of misery and to lead them to the state of happiness. The branch of philosophy which determines the procedure of the work as a whole and in this part is moral philosophy or ethics inasmuch as the whole and this part have been conceived for the sake of practical results, not for the sake of speculation. So even if some parts or passages are treated in the manner of speculative, speculative philosophy, this is not for the sake of the theory, but for a practical purpose, following that principle which the philosopher advances in the second book of the metaphysics that practical men sometimes speculate about things in their particular and temporal relations. Now in the following remarks, I'm going to do three things. First, I'm gonna offer a brief history with some uh, textual points on the letter. Secondly, I'm going to give as best as I can a summary of Dante's four senses of reading scripture, 
of reading his poem. And then finally, I'll say a few words on why all of this is important for the study of the Divine Comedy. Congrande della Scala was Lord of Verona, and it was in Verona, in the courts of Verona, Dante spent uh, the final stages of his life completing Inferno, Purgatorio, and starting the Paradiso. And at the time of the letter's writing, which is, we place, Mendelbaum places sometime in 1314, 1315, um, he begins, uh, begins Paradiso, and he finishes at least 10 of the cantos. And he writes this letter to Congrande as a way of thanking him for his, um, for his assistance. Of course, Dante at this time is exiled from Florence, so he's wandering from city to city, from place to place, and Verona was a safe, safe haven for him. So he writes the letter as a way of thanking him and also of helping Congrande um, interpret uh, the Paradiso, at least the first 10 cantos here. And so this, uh, this history kind of places us within Dante's own world um, and just and gives us a sense of um, his relationships at this time um, and how um, and how he under and how, who he appreciated and and so forth and it also shows us um, Dante, some of Dante's thinking as a poet what do we know about the uh, some of these textual points here is that Dante's familiarity with um, with the ideas of Aristotle are quite clear. He begins and ends uh, with uh, the metaphysics, and he also mentions quite a lot about the science, we'll say, of reading scripture. So Dante says there isn't a single way of reading uh, the Paradiso, but there's, uh, there's many ways, a polysemous way of reading them. And he mentions four ways well, actually two ways of reading scripture and then breaks those down. Um, for those of you who are familiar with all of this, it's not, you know, terribly original. This is, this is Dante sort of borrowing from philosophers such as, uh, uh, such as Aquinas and also the church fathers, theologians um, before him, Augustine and others. Um, it's not terribly original, but it is deeply significant and noteworthy because it, it, it tells us not just simply how Dante wanted to be read, but also how he thinks about himself as a poet. So these two ways, he says there's one way, which is the literal or historical way of interpreting a text, a scriptural text in this particular case. And there's also an allegorical way. And that allegorical way can be divided up into a number of different ways. He even says there are many. So he gives us the passage um, from uh, Psalm 113, where he says, when Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob was a barbarous people, etc. And so he says, well, obviously the literal or historical significance of this passage is that it happened. It was, it's a fact, it's history. And then there's all the other ways in which this passage can apply to the reader. And he says these allegorical ways or these other ways, um, uh, he calls uh, allegorical, moral, anagogical. And it, it, he says that the allegorical, the first level that is important for an allegorical reading is that of Christ. It's a Christological reading of the scriptures. Um, and so how is Christ reflected in this passage? The next 
level of allegory he believes is important is the moral register of the text. What is the text saying uh, to me? What is the text saying, um, he says, in the conversion of the soul from sorrow and misery of sin to the state of grace? So the Israelites out of Egypt, in a sense, represents the soul's uh, uh, sort of release from the bonds of sin into uh, promised land. And then he finally says, anagogical, um, in this anagogical uh, reading um, is a reading about uh, end times. We might say the next world. What, you know, what does this passage have to say about our bondage to the corruption, he says, of this world and then the freedom of eternal glory? So he mentions these several ways in which a text can be read allegorically. And he's suggesting that his own poem can be read in a similar way. Now this is quite this is quite courageous of Dante to make such a claim. It's a bold claim because he's saying that his poem ought to be read as scripture is read. Okay? And um, so the so his piety is there, but his bold and brash poetic sense is there as well. He's basically saying, treat my text as if it were as if it were scripture. Um, and treat my text, the literal uh, level of my, of the uh, divine comedy, as if it really happened. Now let me say a, a little bit more about these four levels and get deeper. Dante really seems to be skirting the issue um, of the question of, did this happen to you or not? Um, it did happen to him, but did it happen to him literally? He seems to skirt that issue. He doesn't bring it up, but if modern readers ask Dante, or ask, ask, ask the Divine Commander, says this is something he really believes, Dante sort of hides here, and he hides in the culture of what we might say hermeneutics, the, the reading of scripture, and how the reading of scripture um, had these set of habits of reading in multiple polysemous ways. So even, it depends on how you read the literal in many ways. If you read the literal as historical, okay. Question would be, does Dante really believe or does he want his readers to believe that this was a vision that really happened? And Dante goes to great pains to populate the Divine Comedy with many historical and uh, chronological and um, sort of topological reality to them. The poem starts on Good Friday and ends on Easter. And he's at pains to even discuss the sun's movement in the sky during this period of time. So he, there's a, we, we might use a, the modern word realism. There's a realism to the Divine Comedy that suggests that at the very least he wants to create a fabric of literalism here in the poem. On the other hand, you can also look at passages from the Bible that are literal, that are historical, and we can always read those passages in an allegorical way. So despite the fact that we may or may not believe in the historical nature of scriptures, we can still apply scripture to our own lives, uh, to some kind of idea of anticipation of the future and how it may affect, how the passage can affect our Christian lives. And so Dante skirts the issue by suggesting 
that even the literal in his poem, even the even the the facts on the ground of the Inferno or the Paradiso, are a representative of something other as well. And you see this right from the start with tough passages to interpret, like I put my you know my 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 right foot forward and my foot was dragging behind me. It's like what's he saying here? Like what's the foot mean? And and sometimes a uh, cigar is just a cigar in Dante, but not really, because again, the letter to Con Grande indicates that already in the hermeneutical tradition of his time, the literal was read allegorically. And so these are bold claims he's making about himself as a poet. And he is saying, yeah. I believe in many ways, you know, that, that how the allegory of the poets is like the allegory of the theologian, it is encapsulated in Dante himself. The eye of the text, the historical sense, is really Dante himself. Right? He's the historical cipher uh, moving through all of these different experiences. And it is his life, he will say, that gives a kind of completeness to all these different ways of interpreting. I think this becomes much less abstract, the letter and what the letter contains and what it means as we read more of Dante and as we understand more about Dante's past. Much of what Dante has written before the Divine Comedy is about romantic love, his love for Beatrice, his love, which is, uh, which is a love that's firmly, uh, you know, couched in the uh, Neoplatonic idea of the other. Um, popular at his time with the provincial Italian poets. So Dante in some way is reinterpreting his romanticism of the past by suggesting that that desire for Beatrice is to be interpreted as something other, even though the intention at the time was not divine. But now he will, he will sort of like reinterpret it uh, to to indicate or to point to um, the divine, and so this uh, this idea that you know that he is clarifying just the divine comedy, I think, is uh, pretty limited. He's also suggesting that his work of the past, um, of which I will introduce in some of the future backgrounds to Dante, um, those two should be interpreted in the present uh, in the present poem. A few other uh, notes, um, a few other notes to make before, before finishing, is that the comedy is a comedy, and he makes, uh, he has this discussion in 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 the section I just read, where he talks about the word cosmos for comedy, that the work itself is not a tragedy which begins in order and ends in disorder, comedy begins in sort of horror and catastrophe and then resolves itself into a song but it's it's funny that he he, he sort of talks discusses the to, to congrande the etymology of uh of of cosmos of comedy to cosmos meaning i'm sorry not cosmos excuse me comos which is a meaning of a village not not cosmos which would be much larger but comos a village and then of course oda which is uh the word for a song so it's like a rustic song. Remember that Dante wrote the Divine Comedy in Italian and not in Latin. So 
I mean, this kind of gesture um, to the vernacular is, uh, is, is very important for Dante. It's also important to remember that even here in the letter, he indicates um, how important the division between comedy and tragedy are for him. And uh, he will expand upon this, but he wants us to understand that the Inferno cannot be read on its own, right? Uh, so many modern readers do that and they miss it. It's sort of like reading the first, you know, three acts of Othello um, without e reading act, act four and five. So there you have it, the letter to Congrande, an important letter, not original, but uh, uh, very significant and noteworthy for Dante. Tells us a lot about him, tells us how educated he is in many ways, um, tells us a little bit about his framing uh, of what he's doing to one of his benefactors, um, and really uh, puts in a central way how important scripture is, the, uh, the hermeneutics of interpreting scripture or interpreting scripture as, uh, as uh, in, in, the, the habits of, of that as being important for us for understanding uh, the divine comedy. And so as we, as we work through and read through the, the, the comedy together, we can refer back to this letter uh, and begin to, to, to question uh, its applicability to any uh, given moment uh, we find there.